good to go. All right, everybody, welcome back, or as our guest likes to say on his own podcast, welcome to uh, Sandcast Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawerder. And uh, we're going a little different today. It's not a player or a coach, but, and I'd hate to limit the description of you to be a sports psychologist, but you're probably just a high-performance uh, psychologist and one of the leading voices on just psychology and mental health in, in the U.S. right now, I think. Um, so honored to welcome Michael Gervais on the podcast. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, <laughs> Thank you for the intro. Yeah, <laughs> dude, it's crazy to have you on here because I feel like you're probably the guy that we've quoted the most on this show. We just <laughs> naturally have listened to your podcast so much that we're like, oh, you know what we heard on Gervais' podcast was, yeah. well... So oh, that's our, our cool. guests probably yeah. already know who hey, you, you are. You say this to everybody, don't you? You, flat, you <laughs> yeah, bottom yeah, up, pump sure. the tires. You're gonna take it out soon. The air's coming out soon. So yeah, no problem. Yeah, we're just we're just warming you up. <laughs> yeah, good. All right, cool. I remember my first event this year was in uh, Doha, Qatar, in February, and just we had a lot of adversity leading up to it. And I was on the flight. It's like a 14-hour flight, and just confidence was not at an all-time high. So I I just like binged a couple Finding Mastery podcasts. And just hearing other athletes have confidence struggles or just a little problems here and there, I was like, okay, like other people have this problem. And then you kind of walked them through it. And it was great because as you're, me and Tri were actually talking about this, when you have other athletes on, it's almost like you're kind of breaking them down and building them up. And when you're in a situation where you can empathize with another athlete, it's like, oh, like he's almost talking to me. So I got to Doha, I was like, oh, I feel so much better. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so that, that's actually, it. yeah, that's actually a hope is that we'll have conversations with people that are switched on and like really they've been in the arena yeah. is an important kind of gate for us. And then my hope is that people that are listening are answering the questions that the guest is wrestling with. Yeah. And some of those questions are new for them and some are very familiar you know, the, the way that they work through them. So that's always the hope is that people will listen to it and say, oh, how, wait, pause. How would I answer that? Yeah. You know, and yeah, that's the best. I think it's the best way to listen to it. And then it's the second best is when a question is interesting to you, you listen to how they respond to it. And these are all world's best. Mm. And then you scaffold or map that onto your, how you would answer it. Like Mm -hmm. if you already know it. Yeah. And then there's this calibration like, oh, I think I could upgrade or, or actually that feels great or that's flat out wrong for me. That would never work for me. (laughs) You know, somewhere in there, and then there's a calibration mechanism. And for me, that's really what psychology is about because it's invisible, Mm -hmm. is how do you organize your inner life? How do you use your thinking patterns and your individual thoughts to create the ability for you to be fully present so that you can adjust to the unfolding, unpredictable, unknown moment? And if you can do that inner work, then life ends up getting, I don't think it's easy by any means, but it gets a little easier because you're not whipped around. Yeah. You know, you're able to be in the present moment more often. And you don't, I feel like you don't, you're, you're not feeling the need to look forward to the next moment and like worry about, oh, I got to pre- be prepared for this next moment. You're like, no, I'm, I'm good because I know when I get there, I'm just going to stay here. That's right. Say that again. It's good. <laughs> yeah. you know, when I get there, I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> yeah, that's so good, right? Which, which, like, in more, I don't know, less esoteric words is like, when I get there, I'll be there too. Right, right, right. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, okay, so yeah. I'll, I'm staying grounded yeah. in who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was something I, uh, I mean, I know we've already talked about it a lot, but I, I, when I was out, I had uh, autoimmune disease. I was out for two years and I was doing a ton of self work. And I found, I listened to your stuff a lot, along, along with a lot of other people. And I found that, like, the more, the deeper I got into it, I was like, wow, like, this is like a, like a secret weapon I'm gaining here. I'm like, if I can bring all this back to sport, back to what I do, I'm going to be better. Than, like, I legitimately was like, I'm going to be better than everybody else. Like, this is the best thing. You know, I kind of flipped it in my head, like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Because I've bought in so hard to the mental side of things and just like went for it. And then I was like, holy crap, this is like the real deal. This is like what's going to help me get to the next level and do all this other stuff, which now in hindsight, how long have we been doing this podcast? Uh, four years as of four years later. <clears throat> next Wednesday. Well, when this episode comes out, we start, like to mark the four year anniversary. If I didn't get, you guys have been in it. Yeah. If I didn't start, if I didn't get sick, I wouldn't have started the podcast. So it's been four years. Yeah. And uh, now I went to the Olympics and 
Juan Manhattan. And uh, it's kind of crazy to look back on and be like, if I didn't have that time where I actually bought into the mental, I don't think I would have been able to pull off what I did these four years later. You know what's crazy is that um, when you're at your level of sport, I haven't met a coach or an athlete that doesn't nod their head up and down to the importance of the mental part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, you guys, I'm assuming, I don't want to lead you down a path, but I know your answer is like, yeah, yeah it's important. Mm -hmm. You would probably say the same, like oh, the yeah. mental part. Very. And then you double click, like, okay, what are you doing for that? Mm -hmm. You're like, ah, uh, you know, <laughs> or like you ask a coach, like, okay, well, how much of your time of your practice is dedicated to mental training? And mm -hmm. they're like, ah, uh, you know, so, and that, I don't befault the, the coaches or the athletes. It's really the science going from the laboratory into application that that stitch hasn't been eloquently made yet. Yeah. And it's because the science of excellence is relatively new as a science. Right. And right now is a really exciting time because we are much closer to knowing best practices in a laboratory and best practices, you know, on the playing field. Yeah. And so those are becoming more apparent. And it's one of the reasons we're seeing um, progression in sport happen at a faster clip as well. One of many. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's pretty exciting times. And this, I mean, like you mentioned, this is, it's all relatively new. Um, and I don't, I don't want to call it a fad, but I feel like mental health or mindset training, imagery, visualization, you know, it's kind of, that's what everybody's talking about right mm -hmm. now. When you were studying at LMU and you got your master's at, or PhD at San Diego, mm -hmm. did you imagine how, like what a steep climb it would take to where we are now? And yeah. now it's almost, you, if you're in the Olympics, like you almost have to be on yeah. top of your mental game. You've been at it for how long, you know, before it's cotton on? Yeah, me yeah. personally. Oh, um, so I graduated, I, I was practicing with a master's degree in, let's see, I think it was like 96. Okay. And so I think that that's about right, somewhere in that range. Uh, I got to go do my math. <laughs> and then it always felt like, so I grew up surfing, it always felt like the swell was coming. And I could, you know, do you guys surf at all? Oh, yeah. He's a big surfer. Yeah. So you know when you can you can tell there's a rhythm to the ocean and mm -hmm. you're like, okay, I think a set's coming. Yeah. And then you can also do the same thing with like a swell. You can see some forecasting, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, some systems and go, swell's coming. Mm -hmm. So I could feel the swell coming, but it felt like there was lots of selling that I was having to do. Not like a salesman, like a car salesman, but like, okay, this is important. You know, this is important, right? Yeah, this is important. And then... And then getting people to actually, coaches in this case, create the space for the work to happen, it was hard. And then I left pro sport because of this reason, is that they would say, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was like, well, I don't have time. And, you know, um, this is kind of too hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I've got to do this, that, and the other on the physical or technical. And it became an extra. And listen, I... In my life, I don't want to be an extra. I don't want that. So I left yeah. pro sport saying, and this is the, the big ones, you know, the hockey, football, basketball. And I left pro sport to go into environments of consequence where they weren't screwing around. You know, mm -hmm. they're like, listen, my life depends on it. My partner's life depends on me having full command of myself in high stress, fast paced, exact environments like military or still sport still sport so it's okay. adventure based stuff. yeah yeah you know oh, like yeah, yeah. high stakes backcountry stuff i remember um was it stratus the stratus stratus was one of those <laughs> yeah. like wasn't that cool <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah felix baumgartner it was just the anniversary um 10 years like, or something uh no how many years ago was it 2014 nine years ago nine. Okay. yeah nine years ago and uh, it was just a couple days ago was the anniversary where he jumped literally jumped out of a capsule that the team built at 128,000 feet. Like, so imagine 130,000 feet. You see the curvature of the earth. There's a moment in time when, when he had to kind of climb out to the ledge. And when he climbed out to the ledge, his feet were bigger than the platform. And he's in a full oh spacesuit and he's looking down. And at that moment, if he were to go into a flat spin, so if he jumps and he's off axis just a little bit, his shoulders tilt just a little bit, and if you were to go into a flat spin for more than five seconds, potentially all the blood, back. yeah, all the blood could rush to his head oh, or his right. feet and or his feet. And he would land because gravity works, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but he would land um, without any faculty. And there was some thought that that could be permanent. So imagine being on this platform, seeing the curvature of the earth 
and having such command and such commitment that you purposely put yourself in that situation and then you execute against it. Right. Now, I would make the analogy that that is in a less dramatic fashion, but not less important fashion, every moment of our life is that moment. Hmm. And so if, if you don't fully commit to being in this present moment, you lose it. Right. You don't get it. You get right. some fraction of it. And so if you add that up over time, our life begins to um, not become even close to what we potentially could experience in life. Right. And so for most of us, we don't have the ability, the faculty, to have true command of ourselves. And so we end up not living or being in the present moment because our mind is running amok and our brain is running amok trying to survive. And so that project for me materially changed my life. And it became crystal clear how important it is for others to um, spend more time in the present moment. Matter of fact, it's come to be that's my life purpose is to help people live in the present moment more often. Hmm. I love that. Is yeah. there any, because, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Then when I apply it to myself, I'm like, is there any moments? Like, what if I just was present every single moment? Would that work? Because, like, I got to look forward sometimes, right? And, and then I got to look back sometimes to reflect on what I've done to change how I'm acting in this moment, right? Or is that something that you just don't have? To, like, if I were to literally be present at all times, would that work? Or, <laughs> I don't know. You know what yeah, I'm that's really cool. Okay, so if we, if we deconstruct this just a bit, okay. if you're in the present moment and you have control, you have awareness, yeah. is really what I'm talking about, and you have awareness that I'm going to think about the future. Mm-hmm. And then when you've solved that or have an, a plan for that or you've done your imagery for that or whatever it might be, then you also have, with great awareness, the ability to come back to the pr- present and entertain the present moment. So it's not like thinking back and thinking forward or problematic. It's just that if it's left in an undisciplined way, then what ends up taking place is that we don't have the control to be here right. when we want to be here. Mm. And so uh, remember, our brain is designed to solve a problem, and that is survival. So the brain has got this beautiful, complicated ecosystem that it's trying to solve survival. So when it scans the world and it's taking in information through our senses, it's for one dictum, survive. Yeah. Now, if left unchecked, <laughs> that's all we're doing is trying to survive. <laughs> yeah. you know, right. So what we want to be able to do is use our mind which is, in an overused analogy, the mind is the software that's running the hardware. Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't quite hold up, but it's maybe an easy example to think through. That we can train our mind, we can develop our software to work to get the most out of our brain. And so when we get those two things to work in harmony, then we find that we are actually in control of our life rather than being whipped around by the demands of the external world. Right. And that's what happens to many athletes is that they they show up on center court or they show up, you know, they cross the first line, you know, the first tape to get into the game and all of a sudden because the external conditions feel a certain way that now they are different. Right. And that <clears throat> right. That's somebody who hasn't done their work. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um in college before I knew your name um Pete Carroll was at SC when I was there and we were going to the national championship or the final four, and my coach called Pete in just to talk to the team, you know? Uh, Who's your coach at the time? Oh, Bill Ferguson. Oh, Bill. You, you know? know? Yo, oh, yeah. Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what's up, oh, yeah, Bill? you spoke to the, yeah. uh, the team a few <laughs> years a, later, I think. Yeah. I think that's how I first heard about you. Okay. That, I, was, I was like a that, year out. It didn't go very well. Did it not? No, I... I, I I, the I one player be- who told me about it said it was, like, awesome. Like, this Gervais guy, like, he told us about... <laughs> You know, getting this guy to jump out of a plane. No, that's a, not, not exactly, but he was talking about the stratosphere thing. No, we did a plane. It was at that time. He might have been talking about oh, when okay. I helped um, another athlete, Luke Aikens, jump from a plane at 30,000 feet into a 16-story net that he built and his friends. Oh, I remember with, that, too. And he did it without a parachute. Of course, yeah. you're, I feel like I see all these crazy athletic achievements, and then I find out later, oh, Gervais was behind that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those are pretty intense. Man. But think about that one. 
Jumping from 30,000 feet, which is where you travel yeah. when you're traveling anywhere on an airliner. Jeez. And then if you were to, next time you're up there, look down. With no parachute. No parachute. Oh, God. And when you look down, your target is the size of a stamp. So literally, that's what he had to hit. And a 16-story net that he built was about the size of a two, uh, four-car garage. So imagine that's you're... That's not big. No, that's not very big. So <laughs> you're looking down. It looks like a stamp. You've got to navigate your way to get to that. Jeez. And then um, it's full commitment. There's no, there's yeah. no safety, mm-hmm. literally, other than the thing you have to hit. And so we need them in our life, by the way. People often think that they're crazy. Yeah. They're not. They are true explorers of potential of humans. Mm-hmm. And we need them to remind us of what it means to get up on the edge. Right. And they look at us, by the way, <clears throat> sitting in, you know, closed spaces and the life that we live, and they're like, what are you guys doing you with guys your are life? Crazy. Yeah. yeah, like you guys are crazy. It's all, <laughs> yeah. They got it all upside down. Totally. Yeah, so. I remember when you were on um, Tim Ferriss' podcast, he mm-hmm. asked if you could create a course um, what would it be? Do you remember? It was a while ago. Do you remember what you said? I actually don't. You yeah. said that it, you didn't have a specific name for it, but you were just like, whatever it is, it would be dangerous. Yeah. Because we don't have enough of that in our lives anymore. And I, I think you're absolutely right. We grew up in these like really safe environments. And then whenever we're presented with a hard thing, it's like, oh, gosh, mm-hmm. we can, a lot of us kind of freak out right now. Yeah, I do remember that part of the conversation, actually. And I think the living laboratory that we all have has danger in it. And understanding how to work with that danger, whether it's real or perceived, mm-hmm. is fundamental. And most of the time, we're perceiving danger that is actually not a material threat to us. And so understanding, again, back to like how our brain works and how we can use our mind to work with our brain well, most of the things when we scan the world are not real threats. Right. You know, they're, they're threats of what our identity might be if people don't like us right you know those are the those are most of the threats yeah it's wild um do you think that like the state that our body goes into and into when we perceive fear puts us in a better perceived danger or threat yeah so fear is the the emotional response to it right okay okay does that uh put us in a better state to perform like chemically and yeah that's a cool question so Let's use an, this is an antiquated model, but it still holds up for a good example. Mm-hmm. There's a Yerkes Dodson that designed this, this inverted U hypothesis. So think about um, just a normal distribution curve. Mm-hmm. So on the, on the bottom, you've got zero to 10. And then on the, um, the vertical axis, you've got low performance to high performance. Okay. So if you imagine that, that relationship, a, a 10 is like I've got too much internal activation and that maps to low performance. Okay. And a one, two, three, four would be low activation, mm-hmm. and that also would map to low performance. But you got this sweet spot on that scale of activation, four, five, and six. Right. Where if you think about the big hump in the curve, you know, the distribution, mm-hmm. uh, the upside down U, that's where high performance is experienced. So to answer your question concretely, you need some that switched on ability, you know, you need some activation, but too much becomes problematic. Mm-hmm. So you need a little bit of kind of hand, you know, kind of uh, shake, if you will. Too much is a problem, yeah. but not enough where you're yawning because right. you're, you're bored yeah. is a problem. So it's that, I don't know another word for it other than like switched on, like when you're really switched on. That's so interesting. Okay, so what comes to mind here? I had a final. It was probably my... <laughs> Third final, AVP final I was playing in against Jake and Casey. I was with Hayden back in the day. Casey. Uh, Patterson. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so I was, I was amped up. But I got to this, I don't even know where. You know, I'm playing with mental things that work all the time. But like, I, like, like what? Before okay. you get to the story, like what? What, do you, what oh, are the mental well, things? Well, I just feel like I'm always, tr- every day is like, okay, I know what worked yesterday. Let's try it again today. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't working. <laughs> what else can I try to like? Do what are the, what to are get the... myself to a place where I'm playing well? Okay, so you, it's like thought, thoughts or movements to try to um, find that. It's usually pocket. thoughts or like focusing on something. Mm-hmm. Like uh, you know, at the Olympics, it was like 
grab the sand or touch the sand, feel it in between my fingers. And then, but if I'm not playing well, I'll let go of that. I'll be like, that's not working. How about, oh, what this used to work? You know, a mantra, uh, observe behavior without judgment. Oh, it's not working. You know, until I find <laughs> something and I get a good point or whatever, and I'm like, okay, stick with it. Okay, now I'm in the space. Got it. And then I'll just stay there. I feel like that's how it is just at all times, you know? To, to me, when I hear that, I go, oh, you're working. Like, cool. And yeah. then I go, I think that's exhausting, you know? Mm. And maybe, but maybe it's working for you. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it does. I don't know. I'm, I'm open. <laughs> but, well, here's what I was uh, getting at is that it's kind of going back to the fear thing. In that final, I, I tried something in my head where I felt like I wanted to be in a state, the best state possible. And the state that I came up with was trying to get that feeling that I get when I'm paddling for a wave mm-hmm. that I know is a little big mm-hmm. and I'm kind of scared, mm-hmm. but I've committed. That's it. You know that feeling uh, where I'm like, I'm, okay, yeah. I'm scared, but I'm already going. So there's no point in, you know, let's just be here. There's no point in going back because if I pull off, I'm going to go over the falls and it's going to be worse. So let's just be here and go forward. And that's the state that like got, I was literally like blocking better than I ever have, like five blocks. And I'm like, oh, this is a great <laughs> spot for me right now. Um, but I just thought that was fascinating, like mentally how. I was, I was literally between every point. I was like, okay, big waves coming. I'm paddling. <laughs> yep. Okay. So that you were feeling, looking, and I opened my eyes, do- and you, I was blocked. Uh, so right what there. you were doing was looking for a feeling. Yes. Right? And that, which is what thoughts do is they create emotional experiences for us. Mm. Okay. So you were using your thoughts to create an emotional experience, yeah. which, um, pause that for a moment. Because when you understand the mechanism of how thoughts work and how emotions work, then it's not the thing, whether it's the sand or a mantra or yeah. whatever, it's not the thing. It's the fact that you are looking for a particular feeling. Mm. And, and all of the things that you just described are, me- are mechanical to take your mind off of something that is creating too much tension. Mm. Right? So if you're going to feel the sand between your fingers, it's a forcing function to be present. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And to be present with something that is... Um, hopefully going to take you out of an anxious state. Yes. Right? And so you don't need to feel, you don't really need to feel the sand between your hands or fingers if you're already fully present. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like if you're like in a space where you're leaning forward and you love the challenge ahead and you have this internal belief system that I have what it takes to meet this challenge. That's a big deal, right? So when your psychological framework looks to the challenge and goes, I have what it takes to meet this. And guess what? If it doesn't work out, it, I'm fine anyway. Right. So there's two parts to it. It's like, it's called, here's a technical term, it's an appraisal. So our mind is constantly appraising our internal capabilities matched up with the perceived demand of the environment. So if you look at your competitors and you're like, no chance. I'm not, I don't have what it takes. Yeah. Or I'll be lucky to get a point off him. Mm-hmm. Or that guy's... You know, he's all this, all that. He's stat leader, this, there, and the other. And, man, I kind of feel out of place out here. Mm-hmm. So now you're going to put yourself in a state of anxiety or doubt. Then I would definitely grab some sand. Yeah, yeah, And be yeah. like, well, I can feel the crystals fall, you know, between my hands. Yeah, it's like, like grabbing it, your tool. You're that's like, exactly oh, it. This yeah. is broken. Let me get my this. Yeah, yeah, right. And then, oh, it's not working. Let me try this thing. But the mechanism is to pull your mind into the present moment and into something that is actually non-consequential. Yeah. So it's a resetting mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, but there's lots of ways to do that, mm-hmm. right? Sand is one. Yeah. So you don't have to like, what's the one? It's just, right. There's lots of ways. And guess what? The sand will always work, mm-hmm. but you have to fully commit right. to it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, a, there's an old uh, meditation practice where you do your breathing to, to downregulate and to be more present. And then you look to just feel um, relentlessly, if you will, the ridges of your fingertips and you just stay across the ridges of your fingertips and there's a deep focus that comes with it and there's a a calming nature that will happen there now this is not going to lead to insight but this is a a nice you know awareness training right yeah and a refocus training yeah i like that yeah i'm really curious you left pro sports to go work with guys who were jumping out of spaceships and airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> did your, does your approach differ at all in how you work with someone? Because try playing in a final 
is obviously a very intense big moment for him. But whether he wins or loses, he's going to come back home to Gabby and Naya. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he isn't at risk of you know right. tilting five degrees and losing all the blood in his brain. So do you approach a volleyball player going to the Olympics any different than you would approach like an Alex Honnold free-soloing El Cap? It's a really important question, and there's a, there's a piece in here that I think is worth exploring, is, and this is philosophical. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't begin to suggest that one is right or the other, but I'm happy to share my approach in it. And it's, is there, is there big moments? And so most people that listen to ESPN and you know, um, sports, franchise, or sports media would say, oh yeah, there's, there's big moments. Because right. that's what they say, defining moment. This is a career you know, game-changing moment. This right. is the biggest game they've ever played. And, and that is a popular narrative. And I can understand the argument there. Um, I have a different approach to life, which is that no moment is bigger than another. And each moment has its own unique consequences. And if I don't live in this moment, the consequence is that I'm not alive. Well, that's actually quite significant to me. I want to be fully alive. And I want to prepare myself to be fully alive in the moments that are really important, which, um, and I put quotes around important, because Again, first principle is that every moment is important. But for most people, what is the important moments? Like walking into your home and greeting your loved ones, mm-hmm. you know, walking on the court and being animated in the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, fill in the blanks, fill in the blanks. And those are what most people call big moments. But if you don't practice being fully present in the other moments, you will not be ready yeah. for whatever that quote-unquote big moment is. So long way of me saying is that... Um, I hear the question, and um, the first thing that I do is I'm not teaching somebody about the value of moments. I want to understand their philosophy. And if they say, listen, Gervais, this is the fucking biggest moment in my life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then how are we going to prepare for it? <laughs> you know, And it's going to be a set of the same practices, yeah. which is like how if, this, if you're anticipating this moment to be big, then how do you want to organize your life so that you are ready for that moment when it does happen. And then it, for me, it's like this beautiful philosophical question, like really does this matter that we're living in now that the stakes are low for us right now? Does right. it matter? Right. You know, does this moment matter? And if it doesn't really matter, then be casual. Don't, don't be about it. But if it does matter to you, be engaged. Be, bring your very best here. Yeah. And this is the preparation for a later moment where um, is physically consequential or potentially emotionally consequential. Right. Yeah. So the short answer, it's all the same. Right. <laughs> yeah, the short answer is all the same. Going to take a quick break from the show for a really fun announcement uh, is that Try and I, uh, now that we're finally back in the same country for the first time in what feels like basically forever, uh, we're finally getting around to doing the things that we've been trying to do for a while now. And one of them is dropping a Sandcast merchandise line that you can check out at sandcastmerch.com. All right, we've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got tank tops, hats, we even have a coffee mug and a backpack. All right, so head over to sandcastmerch.com to take a look and get some of your favorite gear from your favorite podcast. And just so you guys know, I mean, one of the reasons that we wanted to drop a merchandise line uh, is one, a couple people asked, and two, it's just another kind of revenue stream for us. And every piece of profit that we make from merchandise is going straight back into the podcast. I mean, now that it's off season, we're going to spend a lot more time kind of improving the podcast, getting better content better mics, a better video setup for those of you who watch on YouTube. And our merchandise line is kind of going to help fund that a little bit. So thank you guys uh, to anybody who has already bought some hoodies, some t-shirts, some hats. We absolutely love you guys. And we love you so much for the last four years. Can you believe we've been up for four years uh, of supporting us for that long and uh, only bigger and better things to come for Sandcast. So head over to sandcastmerch.com to get your gear today. This podcast is, of course, as always since day one, brought to you by Wilson Volleyball. We know, we know it's off-season, the AVP's three-event year is over, but that just means you get to reload on balls to train and rep it out with over the off-season. So head over to Wilson Volleyball and use our discount code SANDCAST-20 to get 20% off your orders of Wilson Volleyball. All right, that's SANDCAST-20. 
to rock your favorite ball, best ball in the game by far. Right, we played with Mikasa's, we played with Wilson, we play with any kind of ball, and Wilson is by far the best. So head over to Wilson Volleyball and give him your love. And the last bit of news I have before I can let you guys get back to enjoying our podcast is that we do have a, a Sandcast newsletter. We started it last year, kind of during COVID, and then uh, both Try and I, we hit the road pretty hard during 2021 and lost a little focus, lost the time to do it. But now that we are both back in the United States and we have a lot of free time on our hands to keep improving Sandcast, we do have a Sandcast newsletter. Uh, if you want to sign up for that newsletter, it'll include any updates we have with the podcast, but also any writing that I do for Volleyball World, uh, for Volleyball Magazine, any interesting stories on both Volleyball World or Volleyball Magazine or at AVP.com, any updates that Try has on his YouTube channel, any great videos that McKibbins have. Basically, I'm just calling all of what I think to be the best volleyball content out there, and I'm just throwing it in a newsletter. Uh, so if you guys want to get that newsletter, head over to sandcastvolleyball.com. And on the right-hand side, you can just drop in your email address, and I will get that to you every Friday that I'm in the United States. Once season starts up, I cannot promise I'll keep up with it. But the idea is to keep doing it for as long as we can. It's just a weekly thing. Um, it's fun for me to do because I'm basically just taking all of my favorite things that I saw in the volleyball world, and I'm giving it to you guys. So if you want to be a part of that newsletter, sandcastvolleyball.com. And on the right-hand side, just drop in uh, your email and I'll be chatting with you every single Friday. All right, back to the show, guys. And, and your mission, as you said, is kind of to get everyone to work on being more present. That's right. Um, and I, I, we hear that a lot. It's kind of you know the 2021 catchphrase. But we're also in what I think is maybe the most distractible society we've ever been in. And so it's this dichotomy where we got a lot of people talking about, let's be present, be present, be present, and Instagram, you know, and we yep. can't, if you go to a restaurant, you just look at every table, and you got four phones on the table, and everyone's so distracted all the time. So how do we start bringing it back to a more present society? What steps do we take? Well, we have to understand how, how, first understand how we're working, how our brain and our minds work. And... We are in a culture, to your point, that attention has always been one of our greatest econ greatest. Um, that's what I'm looking at. Economies. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Attention has always been one of our greatest currencies. Now we have this very sophisticated mechanism that sits in our hand most of the day that pulls our attention to it, and so if that that is new. But attention as a skill and a currency has, is not new. And so we understand that the, the deepest experience in, experiences in life are when we are fully present. So now we've got this thing that sits in our hand in our pockets that's pulling our attention. Even more complicated, it is providing small hits of cocaine. So dopamine mm -hmm. is um, what cocaine does in the system is floods our brain with dopamine. Huh. And so what, what these devices do that have novel, stimulating, interesting information at a thumb click is like a small hit of cocaine. So literally, we're, we've hooked ourselves up and our brains are tapped right into these small hits of dopamine, small hits of cocaine. And it's not by accident. I mean, the All social right. media tech, tech companies that we're thinking in our minds right now have hundreds and thousands of PhD psychologists that know exactly how the brain works. <laughs> And they've created their, their, their entire product around it. So that's a long, scary narrative to say, right now you need some discipline now. You really need some discipline in your life. And if you don't have that discipline to put down the thing that's going to tripwire dopamine, a la mm -hmm. little hits of cocaine, then we need to, and we need to front load our training. And in sport, you guys know it. We front load all our training. We front load in practice, technical training, physical training, and now mental training. Mm -hmm. So this is just another jumping off point to say, yeah, let's train our mind, <laughs> you yeah. know, right? So right. that you can deal with distractions better. And by the way, mindfulness and meditation is having a moment. And well, it's been having moments for 2,600 years, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so it's having a moment now. And that is the practice of increasing awareness 
and refocusing. It's those two things that are at the core of that practice. Yeah. Why, why refocusing is so important to come back to the present moment? Because that is where the truth of all things are experienced. And so um, I don't know that it's that complicated. It just feels yeah. like people are more aware of it right now and people are more stressed than I've ever experienced in my lifetime. I don't know what it was like to live in the dark ages. Right. <laughs> I don't think that was very stressful. This sounds a little, you know, like, so, you know, people say the most stressful time in humanity. I don't know. I don't, I don't kind of think so. But there is modern stressors that are exhausting, and people are exhausted right now. Yeah. And so dealing with those distractions uh, is materially important for the quality of one's life. We've mentioned mental training a couple times. Um, obviously, physical training is, is nothing new. You go to the weight room. We have all these different exercises. I feel like mental training, a lot of people hear it, and it's a little more vague. Yeah. What... What does mental training look like to you or just some, some good practices that either athletes or just normal folk can get into to either like de-stress a little bit or not need the hit the dopamine cocaine on our phones? Yeah, I know. It feels good though, doesn't it? <laughs> Where has this 20 minutes gone in my life? <laughs> you know, what have I done to myself? Like I've been aware enough to like catch myself on the phone but these reels just came out yeah. where they're just so interesting. <laughs> you're, like, you're interested no. on reels, aren't you? Ah. you know, right, yeah. Like, yeah. Damn it, that's so good. Okay, next one, I'm going to put it away. This next yeah. one can't be as good as the last one. Damn, that's good. And those are those little dopamine hits. Yeah, know? okay. Yeah. Well, I'm just doing coke all day. Mm, essentially, yeah. You didn't even know. Thought I hadn't tried it. Wow, okay. <laughs> so, okay, so... the. the the, what was the question? Like, I forget. I forgot. Uh, to, yeah. what, what does mental training? Oh, what does it look, look like? like? Okay, so okay, speed, agility, quickness, power, strength are kind of words that we throw around all the time. Yeah. Okay. So on the psychological space, it would be self discovery, and I'll explain. I'll, I can double click on all these for you. Mm-hmm. Self discovery, mindfulness, um, mental skills, psychological framework, and recovery practices. So those are the way that we think about training. What your inner life. So self-discovery is about who are you and answering the big questions in life. And from that emerges a worldview and a philosophy of who you are and a value set of what matters most so that you can have that, those pillars in place to be able to have a backstop of how to think, mm-hmm. you know, how to, how to use your mind for thoughts and words and how to behave in alignment with what matters most to you. Because what a stress, somebody who's feeling stress, our brain does this thing, fight, flight, freeze, and submit. Our brain does this thing where it narrows our options. So in that moment, it's very hard, unless you've got great clarity, about how do I want to think? How do I want to use my words and how do I want to respond? Mm -hmm. And so if you've got those virtues in place, if you've got your core pillars, you know, about who am I, what, what is possible in my life, what does success look like, then you've got a backstop. And then, so that's what the self-discovery thing is about. It's asking and answering the hard questions in life, you know, and so that's the self-discovery bit. And then on the mental skills, you know, there's only a handful of mental skills. Being calm is a mental skill. You can practice it. Yeah. You can practice down-regulating. Mm. And if you don't practice it, you cross the, you know, the, the volleyball tape line and all of a sudden your heart is thumping like you're late. Right, yeah. Like, what, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> you know, really, you, tra- you train 30 to 40 hours a week physically and technically and you're not going to train your mind to be right? That, that, that yeah. seems antiquated. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a waste of time, Yeah. right? And so training calm, you know, there's lots of ways to do it. We can talk about those, but breathing is an important strategy. And then purposely putting yourself in high-stress environments and being aware that you're going to put yourself in that uncomfortable situation and downregulate when you're in it. So that's how you would train calm. Yeah. You know, it's inoculation of stress. Uh, confidence is a mental skill. Hmm. So you can train it just like you train anything else. Um, being fully focused and present is a trainable skill. Yeah. And you can't enter flow state. You can't enter your best version of yourself without passing through the first gate of deep focus. So if our, this is a problem for humanity. If our minds are wandering, left unchecked, 
social media, this, that, and the other, but yeah. it's really an undisciplined parenting model <laughs> and an undisciplined you know, um, schooling model that has not taught us really the mechanics of focus, but they've taught us that you have to focus to do school well or to w- whatever well. But you can actually train focus. That is part and parcel of what meditation is. And then um, learning how to trust yourself is a skill. And so those are four mental skills that I think are really important. Imagery is uh, amongst the top. And that, too, is a skill. You can practice it. You can get better at it. Um, and it's a, according to science, it's a wildly powerful tool. You know, skill, I should say, not a tool. So, yeah. so those are just a handful. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, so, I, okay, if you were... Okay, we're in the off-season, right? Volleyball off-season right now. A lot of players and teams like myself, everyone's trying to figure out what new teams... Uh, I'm not saying I'm going to be on a new team. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a, it's a fresh time to put together Volleyball is, like, wild about how... <laughs> like, honestly, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty hostile out there. Exactly. Like, p- partner switching is, like, man, allegiance and loyalty and, like... It's if, you find, if, you find, if you can be the person that's like, listen, I'm going to commit to you as a partnership... But, you know, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. You, you can trust yourself and you can trust them to work through hard problems. But most people don't have that commitment. They're looking for the next best, mm-hmm. you know, as an opportunistic approach. And I think, I think it's that structure that you guys have that you work through is revealing about human nature in many ways. Totally. You know, it's also why divorce rate is better than 50%. People right. don't really know what it means to commit. Yeah, and exactly. So then that goes back to, like, self-discovery. Like, who are you? Are you, you know, like really, who are you? And I have great respect for people in your field that um, speak honestly about the dilemma that they're in with their partner Mm -hmm. and just like come from that place. So you work it out together. Mm. And I don't know. Anyways, I I know that's not what you're talking about, but it's like I watch what you guys go through and the anxiety is really high. Yeah. And so. And it's a lot of like. Just speaking for the athletes as a whole, because we have a lot of them, the young ones on the show, we have, and, and we go through kind of what people are going through, and uh, we hear a lot that usually younger players are like jumping from partner to partner. Yeah. Oh, we're not, you know, we weren't feeling it. Like a team will train the whole off season and then lose their first two events, <laughs> yeah, right. which it's a tournament, so only yeah, one right. team can win. Yeah, right. And then they switch partners, and, and we're like, and for me at least, I've. I was lucky enough to have a long-term partner in the beginning, and I just found the value in, in sticking with one partner. Granted, you, I was do you, lucky. Do you think that they switched high schools, too, and they, they, their parents Maybe. moved them around you know, to find the best opportunity for yeah. playing? What and a good question. Switch coaches a bunch at club yeah. and like left mm. their strength coaches to, for a bit. Like, I, I imagine this isn't their first go at hitting mm. the panic button. Right. Huh. You know, I, I think that there's... Um, some pattern recognition in that that's probably important. Yeah. You know, so... That's, that's the psychologist. Thought, yeah, that, I would not have thought about that. Yeah, yeah, Looking yeah. a little deeper. Um, but yeah, we, we try to like, you know, tell people, the younger players, like, find the value in sticking with a team because a lot of times that two-loss uh, stretch that you went on is the valuable key piece that's going to get you, you know, like getting through that is what's going to add that next weapon for you guys to succeed uh but a lot of people don't see that i guess yeah well it's going to understand that that that's like a something that you need in the path to mastery i guess is like the dips are are a necessary part of it yeah i mean it's it so we've got helicopter parenting Oh, yeah. You're familiar with that? Yes. And then Zamboni parenting is what's taking place Zamboni right now. Zamboni parenting. Zamboni. This is a new term. Is it? Yeah. Uh, for me, I haven't heard it. So Zamboni from, like, on yeah, hockey. Just hockey. Grooming yeah. everything. Just grooming them. the whole okay. oh, Just getting out in yeah, front, yeah. making it all making nice and smooth easy. ice, yeah, yeah. you know? And so I, 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 you and I, we come from places where there's a little bit of, you know, sand in our shorts or sand in our mouth mm-hmm. and, you know, a little blood in our teeth and fear at the top and the bottom of a big wave. And so having that, um, that soft underbelly is problematic to do hard things. And I'm not suggesting that people need to do hard things uh, that are dangerous, but I don't know how you can do hard things in life if you don't practice doing hard things. Yeah. Mm. And so there's something that's very powerful about standing in a moment. Let's use a fist fight. I don't, I do not want to, advocate violence like that's not what i'm suggesting but 
um, I didn't have the experience, the luxury of not having violence in, in my life. And so there's something incredibly valuable about sitting in a moment knowing that your life is being threatened by another person mm -hmm. and there's nowhere to go. And so you have to drop into that moment with your hands and your feet and in the most ancient of ways, your head, and to be able to navigate that moment. And sometimes the, the most powerful thing to do is figure out how to not how to not engage in physical violence. But if it's happening, there's something very powerful about that. And again, I do not want to advocate violence, mm -hmm. but being able to stand in the presence of danger and do it with other people that say, I've got your back. Like, oh, yeah. Where else do you get it? Right. You know, there's a rite of passage that takes place in sport. That is part of the rite of passage mm -hmm. of partnership in love and partnership uh, on the court, which doesn't mean it's not love. But to have that partnership requires to go through difficult times so you can say, they got my back. Yeah. And in return, demonstrate that you have their back. There's All of that starts. There's your lesson. There's your lesson. <laughs> All of that starts, though, you have to have your back. Mm. And so you are the pebble in the pond that creates ripples. And if you don't invest in your inner life, you don't know if you have your back. You don't even know you. Yeah, the, really. Exactly. Until you look. Yeah. And yeah. so what do you do when it's difficult? Do you, do you do what your brain tells you to do, which is narrow all of your attention, turn inward, tighten up to either fight or run away? Or can you drop your shoulders when it's hard and explore and love the ability to explore the unfolding moment? If you can get to that place... That is part of mastery. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's what we've been trying to say for four years. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're still in the off-season. You're, you're a beach volleyball player. I'm kind of like just working this towards my story a little. No, uh, you got to put together your own team. Mm -hmm. What are... So, coach, uh, you can make your team as big as you want. There's no um, money problems. Okay. Uh, like, what are the people that you surround yourself with and the, are the factors that you think about first when creating your team? And your, your goal is to be an Olympian, you know, play at the highest level, whatever it is. Uh, for example, what are you looking for in your team? Like, grit or leadership or okay. like chemistry yeah, or cool. uh, stuff like that. Uh, or even like, you know, I'm going with a mental coach first. Yeah. Awesome. Just like putting your whole team together. The fact that you're answering the question is like, that's the coolest I'm part of this. I'm kind of in that space for myself. <laughs> yeah, this right is now. Okay, uh, so again, let, I'm let, not switching teams. I'm just doing yeah, no, you're, you're building. You're, build, <laughs> yeah. you're building your, your, your team. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. So I would start first with self-discovery, mm -hmm. you know, to really examine the big questions in your life and start with those things and write them down. It's as simple as writing a list down of, and you can start small. You can thin slice it. Like, what are the what are three big questions or what are 10 big questions? And, and then you don't even have to answer them, but come back around, you know, a following day or whatever, or later that night and another 10 and then start to chip away with them. So mm -hmm. I would do that self-discovery bit yeah. first. Okay. And therein lies the biggest weight that you're going to throw into the pond. You are the big mm -hmm. pebble in the pond because you're going to create ripples rather than your environment around you rippling in you're creating ripples around. So then you are making other people better mm -hmm. to your standards. Right. Right. Okay. And then if you have other people in your life that have done that work, so then it becomes really powerful. Mm. So the first is I would do that work. Yeah. And then I would only have people in my life that are also doing that work or want to do that work. So skill set, I'm not including yet. I'm, I'm starting with the value of going deep to understand like the big stuff so that you know they won't get rattled. Because yeah. if you have a narrow view of life and this whole thing in sport is going to define, the, the, the outcome is going to define you, it's, it's going to get too big for them. Mm -hmm. right? So not letting the external define the internal, but the most powerful people that I know, their internal experience dictates the way they experience life. Mm -hmm. So the, the external doesn't dictate the internal. The internal influences the external. Yeah. Okay. And then I would be incredibly um, purposeful about my life partner. And I would start there at ground zero, you know. So let's, ground zero is really yourself mm -hmm. and knowing yourself. And then the first layer out would be the most important relationship you have in your life, mm -hmm. your intimate partner, if you're fortunate enough to have one. I would start there. So when people often would ask me, like, 
Mike, are there secrets? I say, no. Are there any common threads? Maybe. One of the common threads is that nobody does the extraordinary alone. So we need others. Mm -hmm. And our most significant relationship is where it begins. Right. Then, outside of that, I would go to people that um, are really curious, they've been in the arena, or if they haven't been in the arena, they're incredibly humble and committed to understand the arena, mm -hmm. okay? And I would definitely start with a head coach first. I would have on my team. For your teammate. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm assuming, yeah, I'm you assuming that. You already have your teammate. Uh, yeah, I'm okay, assuming you already have your teammate. Oh, no, this is for you. This was, is for me. This is for me. <laughs> then, okay, then, team. Th my team. Yeah, yeah. good, good. Then, then, um, then uh, I would be open. I wouldn't go hunt. I would like almost have like, you know, if you're going to rent an apartment or something, it's like roommate wanted. Have coffee with people. See yeah. where they're at. Yeah. And so I would like, but I would know what I was looking for. And um, to your point earlier, I would write down some important qualities and characteristics. Mm. And then I would spend time to understand those. And, but the mechanics of the team is like partner and coach, of course. Um, I would definitely have uh, on my team a sports psychologist because... Obviously, it's my whole career and my livelihood. <laughs> yeah. like, I think it's a beautiful science and yeah. necessary. And then, um, but my sports scientist, uh, sports psychologist, strength coach, nutritional expert, like, it doesn't mean that they're going to have all equal time. Mm -hmm. You know, sports psych might be a handful of hours a week, you know. Uh, your strength coach is going to have much more time. Nutrition would be a thoughtful program. Um, and I'd also have somebody that could help me with data management so that I'm not trying to crunch my own data. Yeah. You know, if money was not an issue, I'd have a sports scientist on staff. I would have somebody that is taking my nutritional blood analyses and creating food for me. And so chefing up the food that is unique to my mm -hmm. uh, needs. Um, and then I have a, a, a switched on kick-ass medical team that um, really understands uh, preventative care and then also um, triage management. And uh, I've had somebody that is of wisdom. It could be any one of those people, or it could be a, a, another partner. I want to make sure that wisdom was part of the program. Hmm. Um, so those are some of the beginnings of, of how it's structured. Yes. I'm, I'm glad I recorded that. I'm just <laughs> check off all the boxes for myself after yeah. this. <laughs> Tri's team just doubled. <laughs> hey, I'm asking this selfishly, but all of you players out here and all the people we've had on, like, here's yeah. our answers. You know, this is the stuff we're trying to figure out for ourselves. Yeah. And no matter what level you're at, like, this is the homework you got to do. Uh, and to, let's say that resources yeah and let's say that resources are an issue mm, you know right, like yeah, yeah. Let's, which it is for a lot of beach volleyball players only the top what it's usually what the, percent the biggest issue I mean outside of basically if you're not on the USA stipend which is what the top six teams so 12 players on men right. and women mm -hmm. then it's you're really just living off sponsorship and prize money which is uh, and vanishingly low and if you're not on yeah if you're not on the national team your sponsors aren't as good as the players right. on the national team so for the most part, resources are the biggest inhibitor of a really young, promising talent ever achieving that talent because they just look at it and it's like, well, I can't lose 20000 a year traveling the world for two or three years. Like, I need to get a Without job. Without working, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely get the, the boogie here. And I, I think it's materially important that that scrappiness is part of your team scrappiness. And so you got to be scrappy, right? And so I'd pull people on the same side of the table that I'm on, which is limited resources. And I'd find those people that have a fire in their belly, like I was talking about earlier, um, that will do the hard things and wants to be on the team. And this is not about money. This is about doing something that is hard and as a team, and we're gonna learn a lot. And you know, I don't know how the, the compensation will work, but it's not about money. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of um, hungry professionals in those sports science arenas that I just talked about that would love to work with you guys. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and there's some that are well-established that are on the other side of their career that would love to work with you yeah. guys. So I think that there's, you just find the people, you know, either early or late because people that are in the thick of their career probably are like trying to build their career and their, their teams. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's money involved there. I don't know. So be scrappy. Yeah, I think yeah. I think there's one trait that beach volleyball players do have because of the limited resources. And Casey Patterson, when we had him on the podcast, he said, if I'm starting a business, I'm hiring almost exclusively from the beach volleyball talent pool because these people just work and yeah. they just find any way, learn a new skill set overnight, fine. 
I got figured out. And there are people who have <clears throat> chosen to do this for the love of it. Like, no, I'm going to do this instead of going down that traditional path of like, get a job, make sure right. you're, I mean, educated, maybe, you know, or get a further education. There, beach volleyball players are like, no, this sounds like my life. This is what I want to do. Yeah. So I'm going to do it. My first pro volleyball player I worked with was probably like 17, 18 years ago. And that was not the case. Back then, I would not have hired the community of volleyball <laughs> players at that point. Literally, they were like smoking bowls between sets, you know, and that's probably still <laughs> yeah, happening no, now. That, you know, like there's another part here that like let's not be too varnished, right? Like I'd say it's it's way different though, like because I still hear it stories. Is. I of, think it is different. You know, my yeah. coach's era, and it's like I don't. Not many people are playing stoned anymore. It's, yeah, it's but become more, more professional. For sure. It has. It's it's matured in many ways, and yeah. it's why it's really fun to see um, there's an entrepreneur spirit inside of beach volleyball. Mm, and right. one of the things I love about beach volleyball is that, uh, from a fan's perspective, it's so intimate. There, you guys are right. That the, the yes, mm-hmm. like the, there's a porous nature right up against the fan experience, and it's super exciting that yeah. way for folks. And uh, you're not you don't walk around like you are the let me tell you a story. I was at Nike headquarters and an athlete was visiting and this athlete will remain nameless at this point mm-hmm. has their people come forward and say, such and such is about to enter the building. Go into your offices. Oh gosh. Get out of here. Wow. You know, like honestly, like the queen of England. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say queen, but you know, like, <laughs> so it's like, it, it's just, it's really nauseating. Um, when people forget where they come from. Mm. And so it seems in many respects, beach volleyball has not been polluted by that. Now there's some arrogant, oh, you right. know, there's yeah, some, there's some sure. arrogance that, that floats around and oh, not, yeah. not to be naive about it. But so I love that entrepreneurial spirit that you guys have and the, the porous nature between the fans. And yeah. it's really cool. You mentioned that the, one of the biggest battles is not letting the external determine the internal that's right and how the internal should really be what's influencing the external and you know one of my favorite books that i reread this year was andre agassi's open mm, and so I'm, good. I'm sure you've probably read yeah, that so one. good and he wrestles with that like all the time throughout that book how to like if you're in a losing streak and you're just losing and losing and losing it it does weigh on you even if you know like this isn't who i am i'm not just a losing beach volleyball player but it is a tough rut to get out of sometimes, as we've seen from pretty much every high performer, you know, from Michael Jordan to Andre Agassi to really, I mean, April and Alex have probably wrestled with that a few times. And I'm wondering, how do you keep your times? <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoyed your podcast with them. They win the a lot, don't they? Yeah, they win a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But how do we keep that internal, that balance right between the internal outweighing the external? Well, that's the investment that you yeah. make. I think, you know, it's like engineering, you know, garbage in, garbage out. And so if you don't put great care and attention to your internal faculties, they will fall short. And the external is so loud that it will win. And so one way to think it through is like you can do your own experiment over the course of like a day or a week or something. And when you walk into particular environments, does the environment change you and does it does it erode at your your core virtues and your personal philosophy and the essence of who you are and who you want to be and so you can do that experiment on yourself and for the most part like most people struggle here and so and it's only not because they're weak it's not I'm not ever going to use that it's because they haven't put in the the required time to feel grounded and I'm not immune from it you know, like I've been practicing this stuff for decades mm-hmm. and I'm not immune to it myself. It's not like I'm a walking, walking Buddha, you know, like that's not <laughs> the case. So, and it's, but I say, great, I'm glad that I get to invest a, a bit, like, great. Okay. Now I know. So if you haven't spent a whole lot of time on the internal world, understanding how thought one leads to thought two and how thought one and two together work with emotion one and two. And understanding your internal experience, I think it, it becomes almost overwhelmingly or lucky that you show up into an environment and you're anywhere close to your best. 
And so it's a long way of me saying, go in. And how do you go in? You write, you meditate, you train your mind in the ways that we were talking about earlier, you know? Um, I, actually, I want to double-click on confidence in a moment. Okay. And then you have conversations with people of wisdom and so that your framework is clear, your skills are clear. And you can start here. You can say, okay, at a scale of 1 to 10, how calm am I in high-stress, fast-paced environments? How confident am I 1 to 10? Do, an, do, do your own inventory. Mm-hmm. And then you can double-click to build a plan to support that. Yeah. But if I, if I were to ask you guys, you guys are great at what you do. This is going to sound like a setup. Confidence matters, right? Mm. And so where does confidence come from? Competence would be my, the one word answer for me. I would yeah. say experience. This is where most people go. They say competence. And there's a psychological model around this. Okay, And most people say experience or past success, something like right. that. Have you ever like, experienced that well, let me not put you guys in it. I've had plenty of opportunities to work with World's Best where they've already won gold. Mm-hmm. They've done the thing at the highest level. They have high competence. Yeah. They have <clears throat> high success in their past. Their experiences are rich of winning. And they walk into the environment with low confidence. Mm. Have you ever been nervous? I mean, yeah. And have you ever doubted yourself and, and struggled with like, man, I don't know if I can get this thing done. Like that looks bigger than me. Um, yeah. I, Maybe I, not. Well, <laughs> yeah. he's like, no, like, well, man, I feel like what I am I talking like, about? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. No, I feel like, <laughs> perfect. I feel like I uh, usually fall back on like, oh yeah, I've been in hard situations before, I'll figure it out. Like, I don't know the answer, but like, yeah. I'm confident in my ability to figure it out because I feel like I always have. Okay, so this is where it comes from. Okay. So you need a sense of competence. You need some success in your life. You need some, a bank of experiences. But confidence passes through just one filter, which is what you say to yourself. Mm. So it's self-talk. So what you say to yourself is the, the filter that it must pass through right. to make sense of, do I, my internal skills matched up against this external challenge? Do I have it? Do I have what it takes to meet this external challenge? And so the way you speak to yourself, self-talk, is where confidence functionally mm. comes from. Mm. Now, you can't make it up. You can't say, like, I can't say to myself right now, like, hey, you guys want to go in the back and kind of bang some balls? I'm going to smoke you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can't, I, I can say it. Yeah, but you don't believe it. I don't believe it. Yeah. But yeah. let's say I do believe it. Like, 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 no, I'm a great athlete. Now, I'm kind of delusional right. in that respect, yeah, right? Yeah. And, then, um, and then all of a sudden, like, I see what you do. Now I'm exposed. Like, now I've got to get to the truth of something. Like, well, I can't do that. Yeah. So, so that, that's why it has to be credible. What I say must be credible. Right. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I was talking about earlier. Like, when you're going to drop your hips into a moment and it's real and there's, a, there's something on the line for you, do you know how to speak to yourself? And that is why we practice what are the right thoughts for you to have and then practice those right thoughts. How do you practice them? Write them down. Make sure each one is credible, is believable, mm. and then you practice those before you take off your shoes and get into the sand. Yeah. You practice them when you're in a last set, hard set. You practice them when you're in a hard conversation with a loved one. You practice them, yeah. and then anything you practice becomes pretty familiar. Right. And yeah. so that's one way to think about training confidence. Write it down, make sure it's real, that you've got something to back it up, and then you practice those daily. And if I was your technical skill coach, we'd have a plan. We'd write some stuff down, wouldn't we? We'd say, okay, we're going to work on like um, cut shots or we're going to work on like this, that, and the other. And then, so, and then we'd, we'd score it in some kind of way. Like, and we'd watch film. We'd do it. So in, psychologically, you do the same thing. What do you work on? Write it down. Yeah. And then beginning of the day, end of the day, give yourself a score. And if you don't know how to do that yourself, you can talk to your partner, life partner or coach partner mm-hmm. or you know, volleyball partner and say, okay, how do we do today? And you're like, confidence, what do you, how'd you do? How'd you, you, know, you don't have to play the game like you don't have it. You can just actually have real conversations about developing a technical, uh, a psychological skill. I love it. So it's good. Super concrete. Yeah. Well, I know you have a time limit, and we're, uh, we're pushing an hour here, so I don't want to keep you too long. No, but thank, thank you, you so much for, for coming on. Yeah, I know that you. you're, a, you're a busy guy, and you have one of the best podcasts uh, that I listen to well, thank you. all the time, and you have thank Compete you. to Create. 
Yes. Correct? And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so if there's anything, uh, where can people find you? Um, and if there's any way that we can spread the word. So we took the best practices from solid science and our understanding of how this stuff works in high stress, high paced environments. And we put it to an online, created an online course. And then, so that is for me, I believe that it's the most important piece of work that I've, I've created to this, to this point. And you've, this is the part that you partner with Pete Carroll on? Yeah. Compete to Create is the company. It's the company. Right. Okay. And so, um, so that is an online course. And what's fantastic about that is we walk through all of those five pillars of the inner game that we talked about earlier. And then we've got Olympians or sports psychologists that will coach you in it. Huh. And so you probably know one of our coaches, Nicole Davis, two-time Olympian. Courtney Thompson, two-time Olympian, two-time medalist. And so um, Alicia Glass. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, actually she just, she changed her, she's recently married. What is Alicia's last name? I don't know. Setter. Sorry, Alicia, I'm blanking on your married name right now. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and we got a handful of sports psychologists. So when you get into the course, you go in there and you wrestle with the concepts. They, they help hold you accountable. They're there to answer questions, to make it real for you. And you can find all of that on findingmastery.net is uh, our website that's got ways to get to the podcast, ways to get to the course, and uh, the social handles are on there as well. So. And it's for people at any level? Any so level. Olympians to the beginners and whatnot? Yeah, I wish I... The way we designed it was for... You know, people that are serious, mm-hmm. you know, they want to get better. Yeah. And um, it was something that I needed and I didn't have when I was 15. So that was always in the back of my mind. It still is today. Like, could my 15-year-old self understand this? And so we, we worked really hard to make it very simple. Nice. And so, and not lose the wisdom. That, that's what we hoped right. at least. Yeah. So Love it. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Well, thank you for uh, putting all these resources out into the world. Thank you for your time. Yeah, for sure, man. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you guys are great. Thank you. Hopefully we'll see you down yeah. at the beach, maybe uh, yeah. walking out to go surf, or do you play? <laughs> no, I do not play. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I play with my son. You know, okay, he's okay. 13, so we're, 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 <laughs> oh, we we're tossing some balls around. Hopefully yeah. he enjoys the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for yeah, the, sure. what, what was the title of your book? Volleyball for Milkshakes. Volleyball for Milkshakes. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, I love it. Thank you for that. I, I'm sure he's going to enjoy it. For sure. And, uh, See you out in the water. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Right on. All right, shoots, guys. Shoots. shoots.